What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and today the podcast episode is going to be hosted by my wife, Lauren Falk, and she's joined by Eric Martinez, a local tennis instructor that is the director of junior college and professional tennis development at Western Racquet Club. Eric has extensive history in the both the private and collegiate level of tennis coaching, um, as he was previously an assistant coach at Marquette University. Lauren and Eric discuss how Eric got involved with tennis, how Eric goes got into tennis coaching at various levels and the positions that he's held, what influences he's, he's had on his coaching style, the importance of using training in sports medicine to prevent injuries, as well as addressing physical needs or limitations to help improve performance, and the differences between private versus team or collegiate tennis coaching, and then much more. This is a great episode if you're interested in tennis or in player development and how coaches go about player development. I think you'll learn a lot from this episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Lauren Falk, and I will be hosting today's episode. Today, I'm joined by Eric Martinez, who is the Director of Junior College and Professional Tennis Development at Western Racquet Club in Elm Grove, Wisconsin. And we are going to dive into various aspects of junior to elite tennis development with him today. Specifically, we'll talk about how things have changed over the years, what junior and early elite players should be doing to elevate their game, Eric's experience with technical development and things he feels are essential for your game, and so much more. If you're a tennis athlete, parent, or coach, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Eric. We are really glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is such an honor. <laughs> so Eric and I go way back when I was an athletic trainer at Marquette, and he was with the men's tennis team as their assistant coach. Um, a few years into his time there, I took on men's and women's tennis as my secondary assignment, and the rest was history, and he still keeps me around, so we're good to go. Um, so we were, we were really lucky to have a lot of great athletes that we shared together during those years, and it really gave me a great opportunity to understand and enjoy the sport, working both with your players and with you guys as coaches, getting to appreciate things from your perspective, their perspective, and my sports medicine perspective. So, so Eric, before we get into all the tech technical stuff that we'll delve into here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in tennis, like when you started, where you played, kind of that early development of your game. Well, um, first of all, thanks for having me, Lauren. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I started, I'm from Mexico City. I'm originally from Mexico City, and I started playing tennis uh, through my dad. My dad kind of wanted... He always wanted to play tennis himself, and he didn't get to play until he was like 50 years old. And, oh, wow. and so, so he just he started myself and my sister, and I have a, a younger brother, and we all played um, Division One college tennis. And um, we started. I started a little bit later than than the what's the the norm is nowadays. I started when I was 11. I didn't play my first tournament until I was 12 or 12 and a half, wow. um, which Nowadays, it's considered a little bit late. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the, the um, timetables have changed a little bit. <laughs> yes, but growing up, you know, you play soccer. Obviously, in yeah. Mexico City, soccer is huge. There's nothing I, wrong with that. Yeah, I played uh, some basketball for my high school. Yeah. Um, until I got a little bit more serious when I was, you know, 14, 15. Um, I, I went to, I did online high school in Mexico so oh. I could train. Um, and I, I was, I moved to a small academy just outside of Mexico City in a place called Cuernavaca, mm -hmm. where we had, um, we had about eight girls and eight guys. And it was, we, we all lived in the, in the same, it was a big house and we shared the house. Um, and we had some courts down the road and the, the coaches were, were really good. And in my formative years, I didn't have, uh, too many, you know, formal coaches that mm -hmm. just you a lot know, of self-taught a, a little bit yeah. i mean i had some instruction yeah um and pretty much i spent my whole my whole day at the club you know in the summers and stuff yeah um i i started going to the gym on my own uh, i didn't know what i was doing half the time <laughs> so i was lucky i didn't get i didn't get too many injuries until until later in my life um it happens to the best of us <laughs> So I went to this academy and I was really super lucky that, that there were a lot of really good players there. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the girls, they, 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 played, they played college tennis, they played for Clemson, they played, uh, played for Oregon, they played for Texas, they played wow. for a bunch of different big, big schools. Yeah. Um, and, and there were some that went, went on to play some, some pro tennis and played Davis Cup for Mexico. And so I was around that. I was the worst, the worst one by far, I would say, and um, and I got high enough. I was top five in Mexico by the time I was 18 years old, and um, and I was more or less. I think my highest was like 180 in the ITF, the International Junior Tennis Circuit, which was good enough to get recruited, and and then I got a scholarship to play uh, for Northern Illinois, which uh, is a Division One smaller school in DeKalb. And, um, amongst the cornfields. Correct, amongst the cornfields. <laughs> I've been there many a time. And nobody told me about the cold weather. I just, <laughs> I, I actually came to Northern Illinois because Juan Pablo, one of my my good friends who lived in this small academy with me, he went there first because uh -huh. he's a couple of years older than me. Yeah. And he told the coach about me, who at the time was um, Steve Rodkap, mm -hmm. who who then later recruited me to come coach with him at Marquette, which mm -hmm. was, that's a different story. Yeah. But, um, and so that's how I ended up in college tennis. We had some success. We had a lot of international students. We had maybe one or two Americans on the team. Huh. Um, and then the rest were international guys. So tennis is, is an international sport. College tennis is a different animal, I think, than, than any other sport, just because of the international nature of the game. Absolutely. Coaches are going everywhere to recruit. They're going overseas to Asia. Um, well, when we were you know, at Marquette, the larger percentage of our team was international on the men's and women's side for the most part. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, so it, it, it's difficult. You know, recruiting is definitely a dif difficult part of the, of the equation when it comes to college tennis. But like I said, I got recruited. I had a good experience. We had a, um, a good team at Northern Illinois. Mm -hmm. um, some of of the guys are still one of some of my best friends yeah and um yeah i graduated with the degree in business and then i kind of um was lucky enough to 
I was actually gonna go into banking, um, but then one of my friends, my friend Carlos, who played also played college tennis at BYU, he's from Mexico City. He he got a job at a club in in South Carolina. He he was the head pro there, and he kind of recruited me to come down there and help him out. Yeah, and. As you know, you know, with international students, you, you gotta you gotta get your work visa, you right. gotta get your you know OPT and all that the paperwork in order to be able to to work in the U.S. So right. luckily, they were able to help me out. I, I yeah. kind of negotiated with them. I said, well, if you help me with connect with a lawyer, and you know, I'll take care of the of the lawyer, and if you help me with the paperwork, I'll I'll work for you. I'll work for you. Yeah. So. I kind of fell into coaching that way because that was I, I graduated in 2005, and um, that was after September 11th had happened, and it was really kind of tricky to mm-hmm. you know the visa sponsorships yeah. and things. Yeah, it got a lot more complex. Correct. It mm-hmm. was it was difficult. Um, so I got a couple of interview, interviews and I got the jobs, but they just told me, Eric, you're not a U.S. citizen or you don't yeah. have a green card. You can't. We can't hire you. Right. So. It started. I started to think about it a little bit and said, "Well, you know what? What else do I know besides business?" And, mm-hmm. and tennis was the obvious choice. And yeah. It it just kind. Of, I kind of fell into it that way. Yeah. So. So then, how did you get into uh, collegiate coaching? Well, uh, after Carlos gave me an opportunity uh, in South Carolina, I am. Um, we started a small academy called the Elite Eight. So we had eight kids, and, and, and almost all eight went on to play college tennis. So we started that for two years, and they, they started advancing and progressing. And, um, and I kept in touch with Steve throughout the years, Steve yeah. Broadcap, who's now the head, head men's tennis coach at Marquette. And, and he needed an assistant to, mm-hmm. to come and help him. So I came in and interviewed for the job, and, and um, luckily I, I, I was able to get it, and it was a, a great experience. I really, I miss it a little bit. It's, it, it, yeah, college athletics is its own beast that, you know, you can, even though it's a grind, you could still love the atmosphere of it and things like that, and the relationships and the time that you spend with those kids. It's, you know, as hard work as it is, it's, there's still some really enjoyable aspects of it that you know you do miss when you're not there. For sure, for sure, just being around the guys and you know the van rides and the you know all the <laughs> stories with with the different players and you yep. you know you become you kind of become be- family. Yeah, they become part of their yeah. Of, you become part of their of their family and and their life, their formative years. Correct. Of. Correct. Yeah. I always used to say it's a unique privilege to be able to work with collegiate athletics or athletes because, you know, 18 to 22 ish is really a time that they're shaping themselves as an adult. And you get this rare opportunity to have a glimpse in it as well as potentially work with them through that and help them become an adult and experience life during that time. And then you add athletics on top of it where you get rare opportunities like travel and the challenges that come with being an athlete and you get that that like privileged entrance into their life you know that we all take so many of the athletes that we work together with and kind of keep them with us kind of forever from the experiences that you shared together and things like that absolutely yeah Yeah. so you ended up with steve then so and you kind of so you've done a little bit of both collegiate and private coaching 
What are some of those biggest differences well, between the two? Well, I think like you mentioned before, I think Because, you know, there's, there's, obviously there's transitions that they go through, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a big one is, is, is becoming a teenager. Yeah. I think that's a tough, that's a tough transition. When you go, when, when, when the athletes are in college, they're, they're pretty much young adults. So it's, it's, yeah. it's different than working with a 13 year old, you know, that's, that's having all these changes happen. You know, in school, in, in you know, and, and developmentally speaking to their body and things like that, you have to guide them through that process. And I really enjoy it, but it, it's um, it's a challenge for everybody involved. It's it's yeah. everybody has to work together, and it, and we have to create an environment to to give them the best chance to achieve their goals through yeah. through tennis. You know, mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of one of our of our cultural goals here at, at Western Racquet Club is to develop the the person as a whole through tennis. Yeah. So we're a part of their life. A lot of them, they're like me when I was younger. They just, you know, they get dropped off at the club and, and they get picked up at the end of the day. So we, <laughs> we are around them constantly. Yeah. Um, and luckily we've, we have enough um, good people around them you know, in the gym and in the court and, you know, a uh, pad that helps in the, in the pro shop. And, and yeah. we have enough people that they have like, you know, five dads and five moms that are going to take care of them. So mm -hmm. they don't have to worry about that. So yeah, it's, it's definitely different, you yeah. know, because as I said, you have to deal with some of those transitions versus getting an 18, 19 year old. Some of, some of the kids, you know, depends obviously the, on their family and their upbringing, but you know, those are transitions that are tough sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One, I think, too, the the dynamic between a coach and a player is a little bit different. It's more direct, obviously, in college, because um, oftentimes mom and dad are not as directly involved. And I'm not saying that as a plus or a minus. It's literally just like they are standing in your office door. This is a much more direct relationship, you know, and that does change approach, communication, all those things. But correct me if I'm wrong, but it's probably also a little bit different in that, like, you're building someone's game versus shaping someone's game. Would that be a fair thing to say? Absolutely. I think by the time they're 18, 19, they, a lot of them, they have already developed their game. Their game is a little bit more solidified. And yeah. it, it's hard to change things once mm -hmm. they're there. So usually, you know, what happens in college, um, and don't get me, I think that some of the best coaches in the world are coaching in college yeah um but i do think that there there are some you only have them for four years so you mm -hmm. have to evaluate where they are is that making a technical change then might not be the right thing to do right you know it might be like okay well we just have to minimize a weakness whereas yeah. whereas it's when more you, tactical correct so when you get them at a young age you can build from the ground up and and, and take the time to work on those things take the time and so when they get to be 17 18 
they don't have as many holes in their games, mm -hmm. you know, um, or glaring weaknesses. You know, that's the goal that right. we have. You know, build right. build a complete player, which is not easy. Mm -hmm. um, but well, I think what you said of about you know maybe do we in college do we make the decision to make a change or not or take that time? I mean, I think what's interesting and maybe what people don't really see from the outside looking in is you know you have matches usually Friday, Sundays, or, you know, like more than one in a week usually when you're in season, at least once a week when you're in your fall season uh, for tennis and things like that. And there's only so much time that you have to work with something or not. And ultimately, you're given the lineup and you got to make some decisions as to how you're going to pair people, you know, whether it's for doubles or who the opponent's going to be or whatever that I think what you said was a very interesting fact that you know, it's kind of not that you have these eight to ten elite men that are all perfect. It's that, well, so-and-so's strength is service, and this guy's weak in X, so we're going to pair these two guys together or whatever. You know, like, that it may just be, hey, we're going to figure out your strengths and use them, and whether we work on your weaknesses or not, or maybe I hide you with a doubles opponent who can mask for you. You know, there's a lot more tactical decisions that go into college tennis, especially outside of just having good tennis players on a court. <laughs> absolutely yeah and um it's it's um like i said some of the some of my close friends are college coaches mm -hmm. to this day and i think they're unbelievable at yeah. what they do you but know? like you said they have limited time it's different mm -hmm. it's, it's 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 different it's a different kind of coaching for sure yeah um you also have a lot more freedom i think if you're a college coach we you rarely have to explain something to a parent Yes. Um, yeah. Which, which, I think sometimes it's it's nice. It could be good, you know. Yeah. It, it it holds the player accountable and and make him him or her responsible for for what's happening in their game. And you know, obviously, we deal with other things. You know, we have to deal with the the triangle of, of parent, coach, and and player. Mm -hmm. and we have to make it work. Yeah. And, um, and that could be a challenge. That yep. could be a challenge, especially over time. It's a long-term relationship. Absolutely. So. No, it's very true. And there's just different challenges that sit in each arena is kind of what it is. Not better or for worse. It's just that they're different in each setting. So you and I have talked you know, over the last couple of years about ways that you've grown as a coach and your perspectives and you know things that you view technically in your players and things like that. Um, what are some of the bigger influences that you've had on your current coaching style? And what are some of the things that you've really changed, kind of how you coach then versus now, stuff that you focus on maybe a little differently? Well, I think at this, at, at this club in particular, I think we've been, we've been really lucky with our families that yeah. are around our kids. Um, they've always been, everybody's been supportive um, of they're, they're really, we're surrounded with good parents, so we're lucky that way. And, you know, they, they give us the freedom to, to do our thing, you know, just, you know, work on what we feel that the kids need and, and they trust us. And I feel like that's yielded some, some success. We've had some success, even though, you know, when you play here in the Midwest, especially you have to deal with the weather and you don't have enough court time. Yep. and. But I think that's also a blessing for a lot of 
and and that's been kind of a staple in our program. I feel like a lot of our kids that have succeeded, it's it's kind of that quality over quantity, mm-hmm. you know, um, situation where where I feel like I believe that that the quality of somebody's training is is maximized when their mind is in there. So that's yeah. a big part of our of what yeah. we try to do is making sure that the kids are engaged, you know, mentally and yeah. physically so that they can achieve their goals, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and and I think sometimes when you when you when it if you live somewhere where it's nice outside all the time and you can get on the court 6 7 hours a day, I think sometimes that that hurts you that way where it's yeah. like, well, you know, I have 6 hours of this, I'm going to focus for 20 minutes and then there you know, the rest of the time you're half in half out you know right so so i think it kind of forces you to embrace that model yeah Um, when you and as a coach have to think and coach differently when you have certain time constraints or things like that too correct correct and we've had to develop a system that works for us you Mm -hmm. know for what we have um and and we've had some success it's it's um it's not the traditional system i wouldn't say i think it's it's uh I think the 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 system we have in place builds the player as a whole. A lot of our our kids play high school tennis. Yeah. Which you know, in tennis being so international, a lot of them they feel like they maybe they don't have the strength of the competition, or maybe they you know they feel like they need to you need to travel a lot to play. Mm-hmm. So our kids, most of them, they played four years of high school tennis. Yeah, and they went to regular school, to public school, mm-hmm. and, and and they still have been able to, you know, play in the Big Ten and win Big Ten championships and play in the Ivy League and be top ten in the country in college. And obviously, we have you know Felix, who's who's trying to play pro- professional, who's four hundred ATP, and he's he's doing well and he loves it and he's out. He finished his degree at the University of Minnesota and, and was was you know top ten, top twenty in the country. So yeah, uh, which is not easy to do. You know, if you if you compare to some of the of the other guys that are his same age that went straight to playing pro tennis, that did online schooling, Felix yeah. probably spent a third of the of the time on the, on the court in comparison. And, yeah, and the level is, is is similar. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know you and I talk a lot of technical stuff when it comes to <laughs> racket, ball, you you name it. Like, we've, we've talked it all in terms of body mechanics, how we're using our racket as a tool and an extension of what we're trying to do in our game. Has your, as you've grown as a coach, has your perspective on some of the technical aspects of tennis evolved and changed that you now focus or see things a little differently? Absolutely. I think, um, well, a big influence in my, in my coaching was uh, Felix's dad, uh, Timon Corwin, who's the general manager here at the club. And he mm-hmm. was always, he's, he's really, really good technically. Yeah. Um, and really coming from college coaching, I was more always more focused on the tactical side mm-hmm. and, and focusing on, you know, can, can you get the forehand over here regardless of the, of the technique? But then, you know, over time, I've, I've, I'm working on it, you know. We're um, always working on it. <laughs> I'm working on becoming a better technician. And, yeah. Um, so I've, I've, I've been, been able to study it 
some of the coaches that you know from from the past um i've been reading a lot i listen to a lot of podcasts so i'm, I'm constantly trying to 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 get better but i think if you have good technique you have less injuries mm-hmm. oh absolutely because you're more efficient and you're using your body better correct you have less injuries and i feel like uh over time if you have technical inefficiencies i think the opponent will find them at a certain level so yeah. you 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 might reach a ceiling and um you know you you try to i think the goal is to be efficient with what you do mm-hmm. and and so i've been i've been trying to study that more you know yeah. I'm, I'm not the best at it but i i feel like i'm more competent now than i've ever been you know as far as like breaking down technique and, and trying to like i said to prevent injuries number one but also Absolutely. as the kids grow older so they don't have glaring holes in yeah, their game. Yeah, bad habits you know? and glaring holes. Absolutely. Yeah, kind of just trying... The more you can have a a base-level technical game, any coach can work from that. Correct. So kind of those fundamentals go a really long way. Correct. Correct. It's, 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 I always, we always tell the kids now with, with the Bucks doing so well, we always tell them, well, you don't, you don't tell Giannis to stop practicing shooting free throws. Right. You know, you keep you keep practicing shooting free throws. It's the same thing. Right. Yeah. Just because you're good, those fundamentals don't go away. Correct. And one of the biggest the biggest things that happened, I think, with COVID here at the club last summer, we had a lot of fa- new families and mm-hmm. new players coming and joining us. A few, a lot of beginners, um, and so we've really had to dive into the technical side a little bit more or a lot more and there's a lot of things that i didn't even know i'm kind of embarrassed to say but i've been doing this for 15 years and 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 there were things that i i i was wrong explaining the things to people so so i was um i think it's forced us to improve you know and 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 obviously with with kinetic i feel like that's a win-win to try to okay let's let's get the technique down to, yeah. to prevent injuries and and let's figure out the areas where the body might be weaker absolutely um so that we can you know make sure that those things get taken care of well it's helpful as a coach to appreciate how performance or prevention can really play into your clients or athletes um game you know we talk about this a lot um that you know, a coach is saying, hey, I want you to get the racket here. And they keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And, you know, you're trying to technically clean up their game. Maybe it's not that they're not trying. Maybe it's that they can't get it there. And so when you interface with people who understand how the body moves or what needs to add up in order for something to be accomplished, maybe it's just that they need that physical skill or the strength to achieve that physical skill before they can execute on the court. And so you and I have experienced with some of the people that we share is that, you know, you can help me understand where you're having troubles working with someone. I get the opportunity to evaluate them. We see where those physical strength gaps are. And now as I close the gap, it makes it easier for you as a coach to get them to execute on what you're asking. Correct. You know, so sometimes it's not that a kid isn't trying or that they just don't understand. It's that maybe we need to help them fill that gap physically to then meet their technical needs. Correct. Like maybe they can't do it. Yeah. They can't physically do it. Yeah. What you're asking them to do. Totally. Absolutely. Um, As a matter of fact, there are a lot of professional players 
that now they travel with their physio. Oh with yeah. Their, with their physical therapist because and and the, and their coach doesn't travel. So a lot of it is budget. You yes. know, the, the big big time guys they have you know five six people in their entourage yeah in their team but for the rest of the of the of the people that's not gonna happen so some of them they share a a physio Mm -hmm. that goes with them to the tournaments to keep their body in line and and i think tennis has changed so much you know it's become so much more valuable and appreciated in this world i feel like yes and also i feel like um the physicality of it it's more physical than than ever before. Oh yeah. Well, um, I mean, you look at like the Tiger Woods effect on golf. I think Rafa and some other like big names, you know, the Williams sisters, they've really also elevated the physicality and expectations of tennis as leaders in you know as visual leaders in the sport. They really have changed a lot about that part of the game. You know that it's not just about coming to the courts and hitting. It's everything, you know, and I think that's elevated it from a young athlete up because that's what they see. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I would say that the sports medicine side of things in tennis has grown drastically because if you can be as close to 100% as possible, as often as possible, and you're, you know, capable of training hard and being technically sound, it's going to give you better opportunities to win. So having the whole picture versus just part of the picture. So, yeah, you're right. It really has changed a lot. And I think these professions are starting to appreciate each other. Oftentimes it's kind of like coaches didn't want you in the training room kind of thing or similar situations like that, whereas now I think both sides are starting to appreciate how your information as a coach can help me as a sports medicine professional and vice versa. Correct. And then when we're working together, the athlete wins because they're getting support from both sides of the story and they're able to execute and train better. Yes, so. for sure. So, I um so taking a moment to kind of like t- take a step back as a, as a view from your perspective as a coach. So you're the director of junior collegiate professional tennis development here at Western Racket. What are some of the biggest changes you have seen in tennis training in these age groups over the years? You know, I already listened to like your story where you were saying twelve kind of felt like the early side when you were young, but now it's kind of considered young or old to start i mean you know so what are some of the changes that you've seen over the years you know because from your experience as a player to being the college coach that was recruiting to now being involved in here what are some of the evolutions that you've seen well i think i think that there's a lot of methodologies you know of of how to how to develop a player and you know i think there's different perspectives out there um what we try to do here at the club is to to teach the kids how to be efficient. Mm-hmm. We we've had to to go we've had to go back. I feel like the the coaches from from the past need yeah. to be studied a little yeah. bit closer, you know. Um, which is what we've been trying to do with our programming. We've been trying to to make sure we we know technique we know the basics and we know how to teach the basics and we try to get give everybody on the same page yeah. you know and, and and base our instruction based on on facts and not and not how i think you should be hitting the ball yeah you know yeah um so i think that's a big 
that's a big change we've made. And I also think a lot of the kids playing tennis these days, I have two young daughters that work with you mm -hmm. at Kinetic, basically to make them better athletes and prevent injuries. Yeah. And they're playing, you know, multiple sports. They're in gymnastics and they play yeah. soccer. And Which is we, great. we try to... Variety is really important at that age. Yes. And I, I think that you have to develop the athlete first. Mm -hmm. Um And tennis is such a complex sport that you, you need to combine it with other sports to learn yeah. how to work as a team. Yeah. And it, it's an individual sport, so mentally it, it's, it's pretty tough, mm -hmm. um, especially for the kids that are competing at a young age. Yeah, you a know? lot's resting on your shoulders. Yes, and so I think that whenever you can play multiple sports, you know, and, and specialize a little bit later. I think that's that's always better for the athlete, athletically, for somebody to, to develop and, and not get injured, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the variety of sport does help with that, too, actually, because providing change to your body is a... It can really support injury prevention a little bit because then you're not doing the constant same thing over and over and over and over for 11 to 12 months out of your year. You know, by changing sports, it gives parts of your body a break. Correct. I, I think, I think we we have a good handle on it. Um, I, I think that, that it, it's it's very tricky. You know, my daughter's ten years old, and you know, if you ask her, okay, not you know, you you could go hit serves for an hour. <laughs> you, you know, that shoulder is not gonna take it yeah. very well. Now, yeah. if you have good technique, helps with that. Yeah. And and having a good um, a good base of, of strength and conditioning. Yeah. But I think that those are things that you need to manage based totally. on the age of the athlete and yeah. you know based also on the on how big an athlete is, you know, mm -hmm. how how they everybody grows different. Yep. And everybody develops differently. Yeah. So I think culturally like when you and I were growing up because we're similar ages, which we're not that old, right? No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> But when we were growing up You know, you kind of, like you said, like you played tennis, basketball, soccer, like you play all these different sports growing up and sports specialization has definitely come into play a lot more now than it ever was when we were little. So I'm sure that that has shaped coaching on some level that you do have kids nowadays that are focusing a lot more. And it's been written all over everything from physicians to division one coaches to everyone saying that they love multi-sport athletes. But it is hard when, you know, time is a premium for everybody and you want to, you know, and you find something you love and you focus on it at times. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm sure that that has definitely changed how coaching functions now for the junior levels, because it's definitely happening a lot sooner in a kid's life, I think, now than it did when we were older or when we were younger. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think people specialize are specializing much earlier. Mm hmm. Um, and that's part of where I'm kind of glad we connected with Kinetic and you and Michael and the rest of the team because I think that helps. Yeah. That helps prevent injuries. Uh, that helps get information about about how much tennis they're playing. Right. How much are they doing? Are yeah. they playing other sports? Um, are they running track? Yeah. Uh, all those things, I think, come into play. So mm -hmm. th all that information is helpful in, yeah. I think, preventing injuries and making sure that the body is healthy and that yeah. the body can take the, the, the physicality of, of the game of tennis. You know, tennis is hard on the joints and it's hard on the body. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, those surfaces are not as forgiving as being on grass and things like that. You know, and that's that's something that does need to be accounted for when you're thinking about the time spent training. Is that bigger picture of you know what type of stress your body's under and all that stuff too, and just the mental side of it too. Of like you were saying, quality over quantity. You know, trying to allow help a kid learn how to focus and just get the most out of a specific session versus being here forever and just hitting to hit or things like that. That doesn't get anyone anywhere just hitting to hit. And when you're tired and exhausted and still grinding, that's almost probably less productive than if you had a really good quality half hour, 45 minute session. You know, and I think that that too is an evolution of coaching where we are appreciating quality in our training versus grinding to grind. Correct. And be, be mindful when you are yeah. on the court. And I think that's something that happens here, like I said, in the in the Midwest or the East Coast, you know, where you indoor court time is at a premium. So if you have 60 minutes, got to make the most of it. You have to try to make And that takes time. It takes time to teach a 10 year old how to focus for an hour. I mean, yeah. we have we have 15, 16, 17 year olds that can't can't do that. Right. You know, they can't go yeah. more than 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and so it takes practice. But mm -hmm. so that's something that we try to instill in our kids here at, at the club. Um, just be mindful, whether it's in the groups or in your lessons. Um, and, and I think it, it's not the it's not the norm. Yeah. You know, um, I do think. You need some rep. You need the reps. You need. Yeah, you need. Yeah, you need there is something about time. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, tennis matches are not short. Correct. You, <laughs> by any means. Yes, you need the reps, but the reps have to be. They. You need to have good technique. You need to have good form. You know. As your um, base before you start going for correct. volume. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. So we talked about this, but you know, when you are looking at these kids that are, you know, kind of coming up in these junior levels, you talked about minimizing gaps in their game, what are, if you could just generalize, and I know it's different from person to person, but what are some general gaps that you see in these developing kids that are definitely things that you guys, especially here, tend to focus on to make, give them a more consistent game? Well, I think, I think there are, there's a few things that, that I think would be, that we try to, we try to focus on individually here with, with the players that are here at the club. One of them, is I think coming forward, coming to the net, mm. uh, closing down your opponent a little bit. Correct. I think doubles um, is important. Yeah. You go play college tennis somewhere. You're gonna have to play doubles every weekend. Uh, we yes, we we have a lot of a lot of high school players, and they're gonna have to play doubles too. So we we do put some emphasis, I think, on playing doubles. Yeah. Being able to volley. Um, and 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 try to you know close the net and apply pressure when when we can. So we do we do emphasize that a lot. I think that's something that yeah, it's easy to sit on the baseline and just wait for something to go wrong, versus kind of coming in and attacking and closing down your opponent and kind of playing to some of those weaknesses. Correct, correct. And then you know we experienced that at Marquette too with, yeah. with a lot of the guys. That's something we we tried to do. Um, we were fortunate we did a lot of doubles at Marquette and, and, yeah. and the teams were quite good you know yeah. we, we had some success and um, and the emphasis was to come forward so I think that carried over to what we're trying to do here too yeah puts your opponents on their heels correct so putting on 
your college coach glasses, if you were sitting in front of like a high school athlete who really wants to play in college, what um what should be on their radar? What should they be? What are your what's your advice to them as they are starting down this this path? You know, whether it's things that they should look for, um, how can they make themselves attractive to a college program? What helps them stand out as a tennis player, especially in a in an atmosphere where you and I both said it, a lot of these coaches recruit internationally. So what's going to make you stand out to a Division One program, let's say? Well, <laughs> I, I, I think we get that question a lot. And yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm chuckling because we, we had actually, we had a person come in, a coach. Uh, he coached oh, yeah. at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Matt Canole. He came a couple of weeks ago. Yeah to talk to the families and, and the kids about playing college tennis. And I think that, um, honestly, I think playing Division One college tennis is difficult. I mean, it's not easy. Yeah. I think um, the percentages are pretty low Yes. Of, of American players that can come out of high well, school. Well, rosters and play. are small. It, it, the roster is small. And a p- large portion of them are often international. <laughs> Correct. And, and, and to be honest, we... we don't look at it that way here at the club. Yeah. The kids look at it that way, like, well, I want to play Division One, But I think you sh- we encourage the kids to, to try to go to a school where they can play. Yeah. So, and actually be able to play. And be able, be a part of the team, yeah. be a part of the culture, be a part of the program. Yeah. And not go, you know the other route where we've had some kids you know where you go to a bigger school and you go play club tennis or you or maybe you just go to a bigger school because you want to go see the football games so for for us personally you know i i think we encourage the kids to go to a school where you can play yeah visit the schools make a list of schools nowadays there's some there's a tool out there called utr which stands for universal tennis rating and a lot of the college coaches use that to, to it's a scale, mm-hmm. and they can gauge what level the player is, mm-hmm. and you can look at their top six or seven guys or girls, and yeah. you can look pretty quickly and say, hey, you know the the guy on, the guy that's playing number six is a you know 13 UTR, you know Felix is a 13.7 or set or close yeah. to a 14. That's pretty high level, and this guy's playing number six for a team. Yeah. So you kind of have a good gauge of, of I mean it's difficult. The level is high. Yeah. And um but I I think there's a school out there for everybody, which was Matt Matt Canole's uh message and, and I, I coincide with him. I think there's a school out there for everybody. And I we encourage our kids to not look at it as oh D one, D two, D three or junior college or I think it's... There's a lot of great tennis programs in all different levels. Absolutely. And there's a lot of great coaches out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, we encourage the kids to go look for a school where they can be a part of something. Yeah. And probably accomplish academics as much as athletics. Absolutely. Because so. as we all know, that's what comes next. <laughs> Absolutely. It's only the small percentage that continue on, not everyone continues on. And yes. so you want to make sure that you're achieving what's helping you advance to the next step in life just as much as it is your sport too and having those opportunities. Correct. So we were talking about this. So 
Felix Corwin is an athlete that's come out of Western Racket here that's a professional level player and you've worked with some guys who played in the next level beyond college. What's that difference between a college player and a professional player? Well, I think college tennis at the highest level is is a super high level. It's, it's, I mean, yeah. those, oh, guys, yeah, those guys are playing, you know, challengers and futures and 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 Felix is up there, um, but I think I think the 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 difference is the margins are super small and they can just they can do things a little bit better. Yeah, you know when it when it counts. You know, tennis is the only sport where you can win more points than the other person and lose. True. So winning those those important points points, it just takes years of practice and skill and how you're approaching those points you know how you're managing the the competitive side and the mental side of the match that's what that's what it comes boils down to you know um kind of like consistent technical ability but more the mental edge and understanding and ability to kind of navigate each match and solve problems you know and solve problems so some guys they're just a little bit better they're a little bit sharper in those moments you know and, and i think that's the difference the difference is, is is small they can all hit the ball well they can all move well they're all right. big and strong and they have yeah. big serves and it's just <laughs> it, it's a tough it's a tough world out there for, for yeah. the professional tennis players you know yeah so. absolutely well i'll put i can remember there was one day after i don't know who we had played and we were on the courts and the guys wanted to show me what it was like to actually receive one of their serves. <laughs> and I want to say it was Otto who served against me, who had a pretty aggressive serve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and those balls are coming in well over 100 miles an hour mm-hmm. on that level, on the collegiate plus level. And well, let yeah. me tell you, if you've never stood behind a serve like that, it comes fast. And the decision-making time is so fast i just i really don't think when you watch it on tv it looks like oh he saw the ball land oh he's got time to adjust his feet let's go it's not like that i'm here to tell you it's not like that (laughs) so i mean the appreciation of that elite level and that big stir serve and the immediate decision making that has to go and you know and you know, managing your racket the way that you need to in order to get the response off that ball like there's so much that goes into it and I really think it's a very underappreciated situation being the person receiving that serve <laughs> when we all stand on the outside looking in at these courts and just watch the ball go back and forth. Correct. Correct. I think tennis is is wonderful, but it's very difficult. It's a difficult game. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult game. It's mental. It's physical. It's emotional. It's it's yeah. um, it's the full it's the full package. There's no you can't tag team anybody. Right. You know, it's the so. hardest part about individual sports in general. You, you look at um, cross country is kind of a team sport, but really it's an individual sport. Mm-hmm. You have tennis, you have a couple golf. of these sports, golf, where your performance rides and dies on you. Correct. And to be like a young athlete and, you know, and young is a relative term because it's still hard even when you get into the collegiate and professional arenas to absorb losses or poor plays or whatever but you know even starting at that young age that it's the mental discipline of tennis that's incredibly challenging as well and 
what do I do with that loss and how do I shake this off? How do I improve? How do I, you know, do you let chew you up or spit you out? <laughs> you know, and Correct. that's that's probably one of the hardest aspects of a sport like this. And there's a lot that goes into the game and that decision making and moving forward to your next match. Yes. And even in between points, right? Or in between holes in, in golf. Yeah. You could be playing and in tennis, you have a little bit less time to think about it yeah. because you have to start the next point. Right. So you need to have a good, really good short-term memory. Whether yeah. you played an amazing point, you have to forget about it because the next one's the most important point. Um, or if you lost the point, you have to forget about it mm -hmm. and then go and play the next point. So it's it's a... It's a I love it, but it's it's a difficult it's a difficult mm -hmm. game for sure. Yeah, and that's that's also literally a part of the sport. That's what allows you to survive in it or not is managing the mental side as much as the physical side. So if you were approached by a high school kid that like you didn't know, let's say you're at a coaching clinic and he's just coming up to you, and he says, "All right, coach, you know, I do think I want to try to get to the next level. Like that's my goal." If you could simplify, what are the most important things that he could focus on in his game? You know, if you had a minute to tell him, yeah, hey, these are the three main things that if you got this, I think you have the ability to start elevating or like looking to that next level. What are some of the most important things that you tell that kid? Gosh, I think I think number one would be not don't compare yourself to other mm -hmm. people. I like that. I, I think I think a lot of the kids compare and that's their nature, right? They compare themselves to others and and it's the nature That's of the beast the, with the ratings and things like that too. Yes, yes. Now everything is is available on, on our phones and you got so much information that it's yeah. hard not to do it, but you have to you have the you need to find a good coach. Yeah. A coach that is accountable, that can that can take the player you know, from, from through the different stages and, and try to keep things in pers perspective. Yeah. And um, I think and I also think that the, the the players that we've had here that have had success, they have amazing parents, but they also, they were always looking to do the plus, the extra yeah. things. It wasn't like, okay, I'm just coming to the lesson just or I'm yeah. just coming to the group. They were always, they would come at 10 o'clock at night when nobody was here and they would hit serves or they yeah. get in the ball machine or they hit against the wall. So there was there was they were always looking or they were in the gym. Yeah. So and nobody told them to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean you can kind of coach them to say, hey, you should be Gym's working on your done. game. Yeah. Um or stretching. Yeah. Or you know going the extra mile. Going the extra mile, you know, mm -hmm. or or connecting with you and Michael and say, hey, what should I be doing? Can yeah. you give me a routine? Yeah. Uh, we have a really uh, good good coach that works with us here in the in the gym. Uh, a good strength and conditioning. He played soccer for for Senegal. Um, his name is Patrice. He's awesome, and we we try to push him their way. You know, because yeah. there's things that that I don't know. You know, I'm, I know the the stuff that that has to go on the tennis court and the parents. They need to be involved as well. You know, they need yeah. to be the, the the best way to help them is to support them. Yeah. Uh, and and in many ways, they're they're the ones going to the tournaments. They're the ones communicating. They're the yeah. ones doing a lot of this stuff, um, as and, and working as a team. But you also don't want to 
overstep and just trust the coach. I think right. that that's a, that's a, an important piece of information. You know? Yeah, and, and and also I, I think my I said I said the first one don't compare yourself. The second one would be be a self starter. Yeah, which is kind of like that plus that we were talking mm -hmm. about. And then the third one is be coachable. Oh, yeah. You know, because... Got to listen, work, apply. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. uh, be coachable and, 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 and really try your best each time. You know, yeah. try to get 1% better each day. You know, just it sounds kind of cliche, but you got to try to be 1% better each day. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, and, and, and also keep your, keep your goals high. I think he, yeah. they need to keep their goals high, but also I think you need, in my opinion, wherever, wherever that lands you, then that's, then that's good. Yeah. And embrace you where you're at. Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. Embrace where you're at and, and, and go to a place where you can be a part of something. Yeah. So I think that's all great advice coming from someone who's kind of seen it through multiple lenses. I think that that's just a really helpful thought to take with us. So. Now's the fun part. Okay. For the lightning round. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is where Eric knows nothing of what I'm going to ask him, and he just has to answer. So. <laughs> okay. <I'll laughs> I try promise. My best. I promise I'll be nice. But it's a fun way to get to know your personality a little bit. Okay. okay. So easy one. You've read a ton of books, whether it's about leadership, tenant, you name it. Oh my gosh. Okay. What's like a top one or two books that you've really appreciated that you like? If you're talking to somebody else, you'd be like, you got to read this book. Oh, well, it, it, it's. It, it always seems to change a little bit, mm -hmm. but um, a, a tennis book that I've been I've been referring to, I still refer to it because I don't. I, I mean, it's uh, it's called Tennis Two Thousand. Um, it's a newer version. It's a, it was it's it's a coach. His name is Vic Braden, and he was an amazing coach. And um, and the information is still relevant today. It, it, it's amazing. You know, there's things in there that I still. I'm still learning and I still read it. As far as a more general book, I like The Talent Code by mm -hmm. Daniel Coyle. I think that's the author, Daniel Coyle. It's unbelievable. It just he talks about myelin and and just how how athletes learn. Yeah. Um and it's I, I really enjoyed that book. I think that book is amazing. And a third one, I know I'm supposed to only have two, but that's okay. <laughs> the third one is it's also by Daniel Cole. It's called the Culture Code. Oh, yeah. And um, it's kind of tied around the same thing, but I think I think that um, on a broader scale, on a broader scale, yeah. and just trying to build, I think trying to build a culture is is difficult. Yeah. You know, um, because we have a lot of diversity here at the club and we have a lot of different levels, different students with different goals. Yeah. So I think that's one of our biggest challenges here, you Absolutely. know, because I think a lot of the students, they need to put in the plus if they, if they want it, yeah, they can do it, but they have to take some ownership and do it. Kind of take the bull by the horns and try to put in the plus. Yeah. You Absolutely. Know? So no, I couldn't agree more. Okay, next one. I'm stealing this one from your physical therapist, Brett. He's asked this one of people before. <laughs> if you were stuck on a desert island for the rest of your life and you could only pick one food to take with you and have to eat it every day, what would it be? Quesadillas. <laughs> I had a feeling something like that was coming oh, up. Oh yeah, I I love quesadillas. I, I think I could eat quesadillas. 
every day right every, now. Every you don't day. have to be on a desert island to do that. No, <laughs> I, no, I could eat quesadillas. They're probably not the healthiest food out there, but they're. But I, I yeah, but I, <laughs> I like, I like that. I love it. Um, favorite professional tennis player? Oh my gosh, C- current? Y- yes, current. We'll go current. I like Rafa, Rafa Nadal. It's tough not to like Rafa Nadal. Yeah. He, I'll give that one to you. I have a lot of respect for him as well. Um, if what is your favorite? You you are known for your caffeinated beverages. Oh, okay. This is your opportunity for a shout out. Favorite <laughs> okay. caffeinated beverage and where it's from. Okay. Um, I like. It's called. It sounds kind of. Well, anyways, it's a it's a honey blossom latte. Oh. From Venture, shout out to Venture Brewing <laughs> Company. They're amazing. They're in Wauwatosa. If you have a chance, go check them out. They're amazing. Love that. Love that. So I'm going to draw back to our Marquette days. Well, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a Marquette day, but we talked about having the unique privilege of being a part of a college athlete's life. And I'm sure you could pick all of them on some level, but what's one of the college athletes that you coach that just kind of – has always stuck with you. Oh. I know. This is a hard one because I could list a handful from our team oh, as well. Oh, there's so many. Um, gosh, that's a hard question to answer. I, I, I love all of them. I think they're, <laughs> they're amazing. They're, almost everybody is pretty successful by now. I mean, yeah, all you, of them are successful. All those guys are very successful um, now. You know, I mean, we. I, I spent a lot of time with Dushan. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, I, I took him to his, he probably one of the best tournaments of his career was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Where there was not very much to do. And we went to the same place to eat every day. And we spent like 12 days there. Um, and it was fun. I we, I didn't have a tie because they, they had a, uh, like a an, an a event. banquet or something. Yeah, yeah, they had a banquet for the guys that were in the main groups. It's a tough tournament to go yeah. in, and um, and he played like twelve matches there. So we got in. I had to buy a tie, and we like, it was just, um, it was a fun experience. It was, yeah. it was fun. When you have that many hours together, it was fun. I mean, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, Dan, Dan Mamalat, he just got married. He's a very memorable guy that in guy general. Was, he's amazing. Actually, I I recruited Dan. And I went to Florida to see him play, and he lost. He lost bo- both of his matches, and I went. Incredible competitor. Oh, he's incredible competitor. An amazing competitor. And and he's uh, he works for Harley Davidson now, and I think, and he's just uh, he's doing really well. He's just bought a house and just. It's fun so to see them grow up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I don't know. There, it's too many to choose from. There, I know. There are a lot I was of putting them. you in a hard spot on that one because yeah. we could probably go over every guy Trent, and all of our favorite. Yeah, there's just a lot of them. So many of them, and Pepper and all yes, of them. Yeah, and Pepper so and many great Manny ones. And yeah, there's yeah. there's just there's just a lot. The of stories them. could go on forever. <laughs> so the last question of the lightning round: Knowing what you know now, as a coach, from all the different perspectives that you have, and even as a person, as an adult, in the world. Looking back at you when you were younger, what's maybe something you, like a piece of advice you would give the younger version of yourself now knowing what you know? Gosh. I saved the hardest one for last. 
I would say, I would say, I would say, don't be so quick to react mm-hmm. to things. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, reacting to, to think to something based on how it makes you feel instead of trying to slow down and process and, and respond with a little bit of a calmer mind. I think that, I think that that's important, you know, just yeah. if I had, if I had advice, that's what I would say. Like, yeah. slow down your, so you don't react. Yeah. So just slow down so you can process and, and think, Yep. you know? Absolutely. It's, it's easy to say that with experience now. versus in the moment at times but no I think that's a great advice I really appreciate your advice about what you said about things that an athlete should kind of consider your multiple points there I think those are incredibly helpful and worth taking into perspective even if you're not a tennis athlete I think those bits of advice if you're looking to go on to the next level it holds true no matter what sport you are trying to go into in terms of you know being open being coachable putting in the extra work kind of understanding and having perspective with your decisions, things like that, I think are all great things. So I appreciate you sharing all this stuff with us. Um, So thank you, Eric, for joining us for another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I hope to all of our listeners that you learned a few helpful tips today on that'll help elevate your tennis development, help you have more appreciation for the sport and how you can navigate it and so much more. If you guys ever want to find out any information about Western Racquet Club or Eric, they can find you guys on Instagram, right? Yeah, Instagram and Facebook, WRC1960. Or uh, my personal one is uh, E-R-I-C-K-M-T-Z, so like Martinez, M-T-Z-7000. So feel free to check them out. They've always posted great stuff and you get to kind of get that insight into sessions and stuff like that too by seeing those clips online. So feel free to check them out. And thank you again for uh, listening to this podcast and we look forward to sharing our next one with you soon. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you.